listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. This is my last night with you, the Victory Tribe, and then tomorrow night, um, uh, Pastor Ted will be back in the studio with you guys, um, and he's going to be bringing an amazing word, I already know it, um, to kick off part two of this fast. If you start thinking about it in weeks or in percentage, like it's, it's wild to me that 50% is already done. If you start thinking about it in, like, uh, in weeks, like we've already done a week and a half, and there's literally like... What is, it's 10 days. It's 10 days. 10 days left. That's it. So you've been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good evening. We're talking about something today um, that kind of was stirring in my spirit. Uh, I was mulling it over in my spirit, rolling it around, kind of seeing what, seeing what happens. Um, and I was thinking about this today. Of course, you saw the title, Breaking a Stronghold Over the Nation. I want today to talk about uh, this concept, and I want, I want us to take action today, because as I'm going to show you throughout the Bible, um, you have more authority than you realize you have. You have more authority than you realize you have. Now, I know I recognize that I'm talking to Word of Faith people. I'm talking to Pentecostals. I'm talking to faith-filled people that know the Word of God, know we're seated in, uh, in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And I know that, but even so, you're more powerful. You're, you have more authority than you think you do. It's important to wrap your mind around um, what, what Christ afforded to us in redemption and the authority that you have. One of the first things, and, I, and I'll get, I'm just going to de- destroy this thought process right off the, op- the offset of this thing. Um, but we're talking today about, obviously, breaking strongholds or tearing down strongholds over a nation. You know, the Bible says there's such things, there, there's such a thing as a principality. A principality. Now, what is a principality? Well, the Bible um, kind of defines, it doesn't define it in a way that, you know, it says, and Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and says, a principality is. But we can see throughout Scripture multiple times really what a principality is. What is a principality? Well, the definition of a principality is a person or being that is the highest spiritual authority over a region. A person or being that is the highest spiritual authority over um, a region. So we see principalities throughout the scripture. So in in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel chapter, uh, we'll start in, in chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. And I notice a lot of people uh, go to Daniel 10 when talking about fasting. But I'm going to show you real quick why, why we shouldn't be using Daniel 10, per se, as our, uh, our fasting scripture. Daniel 9 is when the Bible actually tells us Daniel fasted. And my uncle writes it in the book, uh, A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. There's a whole chapter in here that says, um, what, how, does he compl- how does he title it? Uh, let's see. What's the actual title? About the Daniel fast. The danger of the Daniel fast. So he goes through it why, really, when people say they're Daniel fasting, uh, they're not really fasting. What, what we call it, what, what most people call the Daniel fast is what I call eating. Because that's what it is. And so if you're Daniel fasting during this time, um, I'm not trying to condemn you, but it's not what fasting really means. Fasting in the original uh, language means to close the mouth. To close the mouth. And actually in Daniel 10, when we, when we find Daniel, uh, what many people refer to as the Daniel fast, they're referring to Daniel 10, where he says, I ate no pleasant, um, pleasant breads or meats or wine. And so nowhere in that chapter does he say that he actually fasted. Nowhere in Daniel 10 does it say he actually fasted. He was on a diet. 
Um, and by the way, he was very old in age in that, at that point, probably 90, most scholars say. So to say, like, I'm like, you know, it is funny that most people who feel to um, not do a 21-day full fast or 6 to 6, they, they automatically gravitate towards the Daniel fast. Well, I'm like Daniel. It's like, funny, it's like people who always identify with Job. Well, I'm like Job. Like, no, you're not like Job. In many ways, you're not like Job. Yep, close the mouth and push the plate away. That's what fasting means. So even in this time where it doesn't even say specifically that Daniel's fasting, uh, we see a, a very intense encounter that Daniel has with an angel and then also with a demonic principality. So we'll pick up here, Daniel chapter 10. You know, I'm going to read it here on my phone in the NLT. Not because there's anything wrong with the ESV. I prefer the ESV, but it's good to, it's good to switch it up. Right here. Okay. Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events concerned or he understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, Daniel, I had, be, I had been mourning for three whole weeks, and at that time I had eaten no rich food, meat, or wine across my lips, and I used no fragrant, fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So he's not saying that he fasted completely. Right? On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the, uh, the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist, his body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. His voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men, that, uh, saw, the men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away and hid. So I was left there all alone to see an amazing vision. My strength left me and my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard a man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. So there, just stop right there, we see a very clear picture of falling under the power, falling out under the power. Well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where, where uh, people fell, fell to the ground and rolled around when God touched them. Well, here's an example. Uh, Revelation is an example. Many times when, when God encounters someone powerfully, it, it recounts that they, they become very weak. They fall to the ground, right? So my strength left me, I fell to the ground, right? Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands, or still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you're very precious to God. So listen carefully what I, of, to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began, pray, you began to pray for understanding and humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I want you to understand that even if you don't see it in the natural, the first day of prayer and fasting, the first time you went to pray, God heard you. So don't think that nothing is happening during these days of prayer and fasting. Well, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. That's exactly what Gehazi said. When the prophet Elijah said there's going to be a, a, a large rainstorm, he says, I don't see anything. I don't, that, that's the language of unbelief. I don't see anything. Walking by sight. But by the first day that you started praying for whatever you're believing for, God heard you. God heard you. And so you say, well, if I started praying and God heard me and God wants to answer my prayer, which if it's scriptural, he does, then wh what happened? Why is it that my prayer is not in my hand? My testimony is not in my hand yet. So he says, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Listen to this. But for 21 days, the spirit prince... The NLT says, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. So not, it's not that prayer and fasting 
is you waving your arms like, God, I'm getting your attention. I'm just trying to get your attention. Understand that your prayer without fasting, the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much or has great power in its working. And this is where people miss it who, who bash people who pray and fast and say, well, actually, you know, I don't need to fast because the Bible says my prayers avail much. And so why do I have to not eat for that to happen? Well, the simple answer is fasting doesn't make you more noticeable to God. He notices your prayer. He hears your prayers. But fasting uh, seems in Scripture to unblock things that are blocked up. Here it says it right here. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So now I am here to explain what, what uh, will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So when we fast and pray, things are broken in the spirit. So what is a principality? Like I said before, it's a spiritual uh, dominion over an area, over a region. It's very clear that things are very spiritual. As annoying, you know, as much as I've made fun of people that over-spiritualize things, it's, it's also equally wrong to under-spiritualize things. It's also, Kenneth Hagin always said, you know, you don't have to be in error one way or the other. He said it like this, he said, you know, many people are over on the ditch in one side of the street, and then, you know, other people are over on the ditch on the other side of the street. You don't have to be in the ditch. You can be correct doctrinally. You don't have to be wrong one way or the other. And so, as much as it's annoying to hear people over-spiritualize things and say, like, I just believe that, you know, the, the devil's attacking, the devil's attacking, my blood sugar's going up, it's the devil. No, it's the Little Debbie cakes. It's the Dr. Pepper. And I know, it's, a, it's a very ironic. This is zero sugar. Coke zero. Layoff. And so people over-spiritualize things and say, you know, the devil's attacking, the devil's attacking. I don't understand. And those people are, are, are really nuts. But it's also equally as annoying to hear people think everything is natural. Everything has, has a direct natural cause. Like, and those are the same people who say things like, well, we've learned through science that depression and anxiety is actually a chemical imbalance in the brain um, where there's something wrong with the brain where dopamine ceases to be produced and sent to other parts of the brain. And for, you know, I've always said that that's wrong, you know, as long as I've been actually teaching and stuff. I said that's, that's ridiculous. And I even started to say, even though it might manifest in the natural, behind it is something spiritual. But did you know something? Over the summer, and I did a podcast episode about this on the Last Gen podcast. Over the summer, it's entitled The Shocking Demonic Truth About Depression, I think. So you can check that out. It's if you search Last Gen or The, La the Last Gen or Last Gen Youth on uh, all podcast platforms, you can find that podcast. Where I go into depth and I talk about the recent findings of depression and anxiety that though for years we've been told that depression and anxiety is caused, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain, bro. Don't, don't over-spiritualize it. You're just condemning people that may have been dealing with that, but how many know it's actually a chemical imbalance? I, I've been mocking that, but I, I used to say, even though it might be a natural thing, it manifests or it starts in the spirit. They found, and they actually came out and said, that though we've been told that for years by the medical profession, and by medical professionals and psychologists and psychiatrists, that has no basis in any study or any finding whatsoever. And so I'm not, and I'm not reading some fringe site. It's not, you know, I'm not, it's not Alex Jones's page that I found that on. They're like, this is like a real, like medical journals, multiple medical journals. And if you want the sources, go listen to the podcast. I cite sources. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know, this is even, psychologists are now saying 
that we don't, they, they even said it, we don't know why depression and anxiety is caused. It's not, it's not dopamine deficiency. They found that. So what is it? If it's not a, a, a lack of depression and anxiety, what is it? It's a spiritual thing. The Bible said it many, many years ago. It's a spirit of heaviness. A spirit of heaviness. And what many people would say in the natural has root in the spiritual. We'll go to Mark chapter 9. And this is where we, we get a uh, key teaching on, on fasting from Jesus. Mark chapter 9, right after Jesus um, is transfigured before uh, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, where they see Elijah and Moses, he comes down from the mountain, and we'll pick, off, or, or pick up in this um, passage. And when they, came to the, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw them, him were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted uh, him and asked him, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he, is, he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds in his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So Jesus at this point had already given the disciples uh, all authority over all the power of the enemy. He said you can tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, heal the sick, cast out demons. So they've been commanded and empowered to do that through, by Jesus himself. But yet they come to a spiritual entity that is too strong for their faith and too strong for their, uh, their power. And your disciples could not um, cast him, cast it out. And he answered them. Jesus answered them. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed. And the boy uh, convulsed the boy. And he fell down on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. So notice that even this thing that manifests itself in the natural, this father had the sense to understand, and Jesus had the sense to understand, this is not natural. This is spiritual. Notice Jesus, in all of his wisdom, all of his, you know, his, his all-knowing, he doesn't rebuke the man and say, no, actually, it's a chemical imbalance, and start praying. You know, this is what, this is what the church does nowadays. If, if I brought someone who says the, the same things that this boy was dealing with, it was a spirit of suicide trying to kill this boy. And so what is the church's response now? Therapy? Referring to a therapist? You know, this isn't popular to say, but it baffles me the number of ministers, preachers, who, uh, like, say from the microphone, and, like, I disagree with it on, in, on a fundamental level, but, but to say it from the microphone is, like, but to just brag about how they get therapy from th their therapist all the time. And I'm not, listen, like, like, uh, Pastor Ted says, he's not against therapists. I'm not against therapists. I'm not against people that try to help people. But pastors, you know, referring people to therapists. You know, you can't deal with a spiritual problem uh, with a natural solution. Talking about your childhood. Or, and I'm not belittling therapists. There are Holy Ghost therapists. There are. I know godly therapists. I know of godly therapists and psychiatrists that help people. But there comes to a point where therapists cannot help you. There comes to a point where uh, psychiatrists cannot help you, where even medical doctors cannot help you. So why is it everyone's first, why is it Christian's first instinct to grab the therapist? 
There's a spiritual root at the problem. It's not natural. And, and, knowing, and knowing what we know now, that even, even if we were to go by the, the actual science, to say that it's a chemical imbalance, antidepressants don't help that then. It's not a chemical imbalance. It's not a lack of dopamine. So antidepressants, and so even in that article that I cited from a, a well-known medical journal, says that doctors have been over-prescribing antidepressants, that we really don't know the effect of antidepressants like that, like, like people claim they do. It's like, oh, you feel sad? Anti when, you know, I went to a school, and this isn't uncommon, and for many of you, you, you're not in, you, know, you didn't grow up in my generation, you grew up in a, in a completely different generation, completely different. When I went to school, when I went to high school, you know, I'm 18, so I graduated two years ago, um, coming up on two years ago. And so when I went to high school, when I went to middle school, I knew I couldn't count, you know, on, on two hands, like meaning there were more than 20 people that I knew personally. I knew personally. Like, had a personal relationship. Like, I would, be, I would know their name, they know me, we talk. That regularly, every day, took antidepressants. Or anxiety medication. Why is it the case that that wasn't the case in, in maybe your generation? That it was, a, it was a rare anomaly for someone to be uh, suicidal or someone to take antidepressants. But now, it's, it's as, as Pastor Ted says all the time, it's the number one prescribed medication in America, antidepressants. And just for personal experience, you know, and this is why I, I really do believe that we're living in the greatest generation. You say, why? You just, you just said that things are, are darker. Yeah, things are darker. But imagine, think about the people that need Jesus. Think about it. There's people, if, you, if you're a high schooler listen to me, listening to me right now, or if you're the mother of, or a father of a high schooler or a middle schooler, understand that it doesn't matter if, you're in, if you uh, send them to Christian uh, school. There are still people there that take antidepressants and are suicidal and have thoughts of suicide every single day that can recount stories to you, and I'm not kidding now, that can recount stories to you yeah, I try to go to bed, but then there's just so many voices in my head and there's just such a darkness that comes on me when I try to go to bed that I, I lose sleep. We're living in the greatest generation ever to minister. It's very clear. You know, in generations past, it's interesting to me that in generations past, it was harder to notice people that were uh, unsaved, meaning this. Let's, let's just bring it back to the 50s. People always cite the fact that, you know, since, since the 1950s, church attendance has gone down. You know, people aren't coming to church anymore. And, you know, the reason I don't, I don't get scared, you know, you can read Christianity Today, the magazine, people, you know, cited in Christianity Today that we're living in a dark time because people stopped going to church. People, people aren't hungry for God anymore. You can read it in ministry, uh, ministry quarterlies or ministers' quarterlies that people aren't going to church anymore. And, you know, across all the denominations, Methodists are, go, you know, numbers are down, Baptist numbers are down, Catholic numbers are down. The reason that doesn't phase me whatsoever is because, I mean, think about it. Even in the 50s, where there was a large amount of the American population going to church and attending church regularly, that doesn't mean that everyone was on fire, that everyone was actually saved that we're going to that church, that, you know, was attending church on a weekly basis. Many people uh, were cultural Christians, meaning they went to church because that's what Americans did. And so now that, you know, many people call this generation a post-Christian generation, I don't see that as like a terrible thing because now it's easy to spot out the people that need Jesus. Because those in church now are really hungry to go to church. Those who are pressing in now. It's almost like, just like during COVID, you could see who was actually hungry. Those who, who continue to go to church. 
And so I don't get, I don't get nervous at that thing or, or at that statistic or I'd be like, oh, I wish I was, I was uh, training to be a preacher in the 50s when, when Billy Graham was, I mean, those times were great, but now is even greater. Going to high school now is like going, and this is going to sound crazy, but it's like going to uh, India almost. Not, not in that people are Indian in high school, but my point is that it's, you know, the sa- it feels like the same amount of people that have heard the gospel in India have, have heard the gospel in high school. Because we live in this post-Christian generation, you can, you can start talking, telling someone about Jesus and it'd be the first time that they've heard about it. And you can start telling people in high school that, you know, that Jesus can, can uh, destroy depression in your life. And, and, and this is news to people. They've never heard it before. So it's, it's a good time to be alive. It's a very good time to be alive. But let me tell you, I knew so many people who uh, took antidepressants. So many. And I still know of them. They're still taking antidepressants. It wasn't an uncommon thing when I went to high school to hear that, that a, a kid that we knew very well had committed suicide. And it angers me, and it really does, to, to hear pastors say and to hear preachers say it's a chemical imbalance. How blind can you be? How blind can you be? It's a spiritual thing. Jesus understood it. And the man said, um, help us, have compassion, and help us if you can. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd coming running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never to come, uh, never enter him again. Notice how Jesus uh, deals with an evil spirit. He doesn't pray for people who have a demon. You don't, you don't pray for demons. You also don't pray for mountains. Jesus said, you'll speak to the mountain. You'll command the demon. You cast demons out. You don't pray for people that have demons or are dealing with suicidal spirits or, or spirits of depression and anxiety. You cast it out. You take authority over it. And let me tell you, we're seeing it on a personal level, but it's the same thing in the spirit on a national level. Did you know that it only takes one man or one woman full of the Holy Spirit, full of the fire of God, to deal with a spiritual principality over a region. So we, we covered in Daniel 10, he said, the spirit prince of Persia has stopped me. An angel. But think about it. Daniel wasn't a child of God in the way that I'm a child of God. Daniel didn't have the Holy Ghost like I have the Holy Ghost. Daniel wasn't seated with Christ in heavenly places like you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So Daniel, operating under a worse covenant, a worse covenant established upon worse promises, because of his prayer and fasting, completely took down, it sent an angel and took down the the stronghold over a nation. Be healed of memory loss, hearing loss, all health problems, and be restored in the excellent name of Jesus. I don't, I don't know who that is. Maybe Scroll up, Tiffany. Okay. I believe it. I believe with you, Phil. Oh, I see. I see. I'm believing with you. That's right. You take authority over it. You take authority over it in the name of Jesus. And so did you know that it only takes one man or one woman to get full of the fire of God and drive a a demon out of a nation? Because like we saw in Daniel 10, there are not only uh, demons that are over people, that have control over people, but there are demons over regions. That's what, what a principality is. But... And, you know, there's people who get wacky about that and, you know, start calling names and stu- stuff like that. And, you know, they, they get obsessed with demons. They're demon conscious. I'm not trying to get you to be demon conscious tonight. I need you to be Jesus conscious. I need you to be authority conscious. 
that even though there are wicked spirits over regions, even though there are principalities over regions, nothing can withstand a believer filled with the Holy Ghost who prays and fasts and commands it in the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You see it in Mark chapter 5. Jesus steps his foot out onto the shore after the demonic storm, right? So you see, you see Jesus in Mark 5 take hold of so many demonic principalities or d- demonic spirits. Or in, it's Mark 4 with, with the storm and then Mark 5 with, with the demoniac. He steps foot on, on the shore and a demon from far off recognizing Jesus. So before Jesus uh, stepped onto the shore, that man filled with that demon was the spiritual principality over that region. You know how we know? Nothing was stronger than that man. No one could restrain him. No one could stop him. He would literally cut himself all day. He would chain himself up. They would chain him up in the graveyard. And he would, with his demonic strength, break the chains, the, the, the metal chains, and start cutting himself with rocks and screaming and, and harassing people. So he was the highest spiritual force in that area. But once Jesus stepped onto the shore, that all changed. And that man filled with a demon realized the authority in Jesus and came running and bowed down low. So why am I telling you that tonight? Don't get, don't get uh, nervous or don't get fearful about the news reports. Like we talked about last night, don't get fearful about the news reports. It annoys me when I hear Christians always fearful about, you know, they, they focus on the part that wickedness is abounding. You know, this is the darkest time we've ever lived in. There's people, and if you don't get the victory part right, the first part of what I told you about you know, people being depressed like they never have, that's just the only thing. But if you don't get this second part, it's, you, you might as well not even uh, study this at all. Wickedness is abounding. Sin is great. Brother, this generation, they're not hungry for God. Church attendance is down. There's depression everywhere, suicide everywhere. Just look at the people in high school. I can't stand this generation. Those are people that are demon conscious. Well, why am I telling you that tonight? Because those people will never take hold or take authority over those demons. And after this, we're going to pray for the United States of America. I love the United States of America. I believe that if believers like us, if, if, if the Victory Tribe was a normal representation of believers in in America at large, there would be a mass difference. But instead of complaining about the fact that there's no one else that's fasting and praying, which is not true anyways. There's many people that are fasting and praying like we are. But even us, even the people that are watching today, have enough power to take hold of spiritual strongholds in our nation. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities, high rulers, Spiritual rulers in heavenly places. But then he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. You have power to shake your generation. You have power to shake your nation. And and there are different levels of the demonic, but but by uh, fasting and prayer... We're able to have authority over every level. Jesus said, This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So, that, yes, there are, there are levels to the demonic, but we have authority over every level of the demonic with prayer and fasting. We're going to pray not only for what I talked about, because that's heavy on my spirit now with the depression and the anxiety. Because that is a very prevalent thing. But we're going to pray for every uh, wicked hold of the devil over your family members, every wicked hold of the devil over your friends, over the nation. And you say, how, you know, how, people say, how, how, um, how, how much of an ego does this kid have? He thinks that his prayers are going to take down strongholds in the United States of America. How arrogant. 
Well, I'd rather, I'd rather be overzealous and actually believe what the Bible says than be one of these Christians who say, how many know we're nothing and he's everything? There's a song that goes, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul. I hate that song with a passion. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. I hate that song. I hate it so much. You're not a nobody. Can I tell you right now? You're not a nobody. Don't listen to preachers that try to, that try to uh, diminish your view of yourself. We can't do anything. Those are the people who say, Father, we're not worthy to be in your presence. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. He's made you worthy. He's given you authority. So stop saying, we're so weak, we're so broken. You're not. And if you continue to say that, fine, you are. But I do have power. You do have power. You do have authority. So it's not arrogant to say, I, I have the authority. It only takes one man. Think of, of um, Enoch Adeboye in Nigeria. He has a ministry that is so nation-shaking that under his ministry, it used to be a uh, Muslim nation. But after his, his ministry, it, quick, it quickly turned, you know, he's still alive, but it quickly turned to a Christian nation. A Christian nation. Because one man, he's, he, he believes in prayer and fasting. One man believe the authority in Christ that he has to tear down that demonic stronghold of the nation of Islam. A demon, a real demon. What, what could you, by the power of the Holy Ghost, tear down? It only takes one. And we've got more than one here. It only takes one. I really do believe. Now, many people say this. They um, say that things like, how many know Jesus can't come back uh, now because he actually said in his word, I'm coming back for a church without spot or without wrinkle. So how many know that means Jesus can't come back now? There has to be a great revival, the Bible says, before he comes back. You know why that's not, that's not actually scriptural? And I, and I know I'm not going to make any friends saying this. Because many people say it, and I'm not bashing the people that say it. But people say this all the time, and they quote it like it's an end-time Bible uh, scripture. He's coming back for a church without spot or without wrinkle. And then pe preachers take that to say then, well, he can't come back now. Look at the state of the church. Would you say this is a church without spot or wrinkle? The problem with that statement is there's two things. Number one, the church... The true bride of Christ, the, a Christian, is without spot or wrinkle. I'm not waiting for some future purification. I'm not waiting for some future, uh, you know, he's going to cleanse. There's, there's going to be a day, the Bible says, before Jesus comes back in the United States, where, where the Bible says he's going to purify the hearts of, of people, uh, or of his church. The church is already pure. What do you think Jesus did? In, in his work on the cross. We're already pure. We're already victorious. We're already spotless. So I'm not, I'm not waiting for a, uh, a time in, uh, in history or a coming time where, you know, there's going to be this great awakening. Though I do believe that if Christians, see, there's an if here. It's not, it's not an end time thing that it has to happen before Jesus comes back. Understand the doctrine of imminency. Jesus can come back just like a, the, a thief in the night. There's not one prophetic thing that has to happen before Jesus comes back. They're all fulfilled. They're all fulfilled. He can come back. The rapture can happen at any moment. That's what he meant when he said the Son of Man can, will come like a thief in the night. No man knows the day or the hour. So there's not one, one thing that has to happen. They're all fulfilled. If there was some future event that, was, that has to happen for it to be fulfilled, that wouldn't be the case. I, and then I could clearly say, Jesus can't come back now. There's, there's no way the rapture can happen because there's not been the purification of the church. That is, that is not true. It's not, it's, it's not biblical. The church 
has been cleansed, has been bought, has been purchased, has been made holy by his blood. And to say that the church needs to be cleansed, needs to be uh, uh, washed in the blood of Christ is to say Jesus didn't accomplish anything on the cross. So understand that Jesus can come back at any moment. So it doesn't mean that the Bible says there has to be a time where America is going to experience this great revival. What I am saying is, if believers understand their authority, there's an if here. Jesus could come back and there could, and you know, he could find the earth in a terrible state, but the church obviously cleansed. But it's up to people. We talked about this a couple nights ago. God's will doesn't always just, just happen on the earth. It's up to believers to bring the will of God into the earth. So it's not God has to bring this great uh, awakening or God send revival. He already did. He sent you. The question is, are we as the church going to see souls saved? Are we as the church going to heal the sick? Are we as the church going to operate in dominion and authority? It's up to us. That's right. It's up to you. That's why I don't say, well, you know, God is in control. He actually made you in control of, of this earth. The heavens are the Lord's. The earth he has given to men. Jesus said, I give to you authority over all the power of the enemy. And if you don't take authority, nothing will happen. That's why I don't sing. I personally, Lord send revival. I don't sing that. Jesus sent revival. His name is the Holy Ghost. And he lives on the inside of me. Instead of saying, Lord send revival, say, Lord send me. Start thinking about it this way. When I walk into the grocery store, revival walked into the grocery store. When I walked into my college campus, revival walked into my college campus. When I walk onto the job, revival just walked onto the job. God's not waiting on us. Or, or we're not waiting on God. God, just send revival. Pull it down. Pull down revival. God is waiting on us. So even, even in Daniel 10, which, which people quote a lot, this is a good, a good place to find it. That's right. I am Pentecostal, not ashamed. We carry the anointing. That's right. And if we don't carry the anointing to a specific place in the world, that place will go without the anointing. It's true. It's true. We quoted it. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is willing that none should perish, but that all should come uh, to repentance. Are there going to be people in hell? Yes. So clearly there's a disconnect from the will of God and what happens on the earth. And so what did he say? How can they hear unless someone goes? How can they hear if someone, unless someone preaches? How can they preach unless someone is sent? It's up to us. And so we see in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, or, or in Daniel chapter 9 leading into chapter 10, Daniel starts reading the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah. So he's reading the Bible, and he sees, hold up a second, there's a disconnect between what God said is allowed to happen and what's happening in my nation. Get this, this is so powerful. There's, there's a misalignment, Something, something's not right. He read the Bible, saw the status quo of his nation, and said, something's not right. It doesn't line up. And he went into a time, this is in Daniel 9, this is actually where it says he fasted and prayed. I fasted and prayed and turned my face to the Lord. So, you know, there should be a dissatisfaction. If you see something in your life or in your nation that doesn't line up with the Word of God, that there should be something in you that turns you to fasting and prayer. For A.A. Allen, he started seeing. He said, Lord, I see in Scripture that Jesus had a miracle ministry. Paul, the apostles, had miracle ministries. People were healed. All were healed, it says in the Bible. All that came to Jesus were healed. All that Peter's shadow fell on were healed. And he said, but people in my church aren't getting healed. I need something to change because it doesn't line up. Something's not right. And so it, 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 it pushed him into a time of prayer and fasting. 
there should be some fervency in your spirit that as you see something that doesn't line up with the Word of God, unsafe family members, uh, you know, depression and anxiety, sickness in your body, some, you know, turmoil in finances, there should be something that causes you to say, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. There's something that I need to do. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with me. I need to fast prayer. I need, I, there's obviously a level of the demonic that I can't conquer at my current level of prayer. I need to fast. And that's what you've done. That's what I've done. Dissatisfied with things not being how the Bible says. And so in the book of Jeremiah, it says, uh, Israel or the nation of Israel should only be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And so Daniel reads this and he says, hold up. It's been 70 years. Why is this not taking place? So God said they only have to be in captivity for 70 years. And here they are longer than 70 years. Did God lie? No. It takes a, a man or woman of God to fulfill God's will on the earth. A man or woman of God has to fulfill God's will on the earth. And so then he started fasting and praying. And that's when he dealt with the stronghold. He realized, hold up, this isn't natural. There's a, there's a, there's a demonic principality I need to deal with, and that's what broke it. The prayer and fasting broke it. So as you pray and fast, and as we as the Victory Tribe pray and fast, not only uh, strongholds in your personal life are being broken, but also strongholds in the nation are being broken. National strongholds. You know what I believe? I don't see news reports as only uh, natural things. When Roe versus Wade was overturned, you could immediately tell. You didn't even have to, have to uh, <laughs> get super you know, deep into scripture to understand that it was demonic. Just look at how the devil's people just look at how the devil's crowd acted when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. It looked like a demon manifesting. People freaking out. People, ah! Like, like, like really, it, it seemed like there was, you know, they were like de demonized, angry, like very angry that Roe v. Wade was overturned. That was a spiritual thing. And the church rejoiced. And we're still rejoicing. That was a spiritual stronghold. It was scary. I mean, it's, it's actually, let me rephrase that. It's hard to be scared uh, at, at a, or, you know, of a feminist who's, who's uh, also a vegan, who's also an activist, who's also an environmentalist, who's also a furry. And for, sorry, for the not Gen Zers who don't understand what furries are. Furries. I feel like I'm giving a real education now. Furries are people who are, are, they're completely, totally nuts. Just as many people as, you know, had depression, anxiety in my high school, there were furries too. And what furries are, uh, are people that believe that they're animals. They really believe that they're animals. And so they dress up like animals. It, and it's really, it really is demonic. It's, it's also funny at the same time. This is the class A teaching that Pastor Ted has me on to teach. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> tell the people about furries, Alex. <laughs> so it's hard to be scared about that. Scared about feminists that are like freaking out, like, ah, my body, my choice. Um, so it's, it, it's scary in a sense, but in, in another sense, it's not that scary. Uh, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's alarming to see how demonic it was. You, you don't have to be a, a theologian to know that, that abortion is demonic at its root. Abortion is demonic. And so the church, although abortion, you know, with the over, overturning of Roe v. Wade, doesn't mean abortion is outlawed, but it goes back to the states, and many states have banned abortion now. So that's a major victory. Not only is that a, 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 an American victory in that, the, you know, constitutionally, it's a spiritual victory, a very spiritual victory. That's why you should take note, like you should have taken note of the, the Christians who had their mouths shut 
when Roe v. Wade was overturned, said nothing or sided with the demonic agenda. Shows something's up. It shows something real wrong is up. That was a spiritual victory. We can have spiritual victories like that in our nation. Not only, I'm not believing that God would just ended at, at Roe v. Wade. I believe that more and more states are going to take the position that, that these states already have. Banning abortion. Why? Because it's demonic. It's murder. How is that, how can you be a Christian and be so blind to think that that's like a natural thing? Well, you know, to each his own. Some people like, like uh, cocaine and some other people like abortion. It's just sin. Yeah, yeah, it's sin, but it's demonic at its root. Some people have a problem with lying. Other people have abortion. It's demonic at its root. So that was a, that was a stronghold over the nation that already broke. So that, there, that should give you faith. You know, nobody, nobody thought that Roe v. Wade could ever be overturned. Even Republicans thought that they were fighting an uphill battle. I'm telling you. And to see what God did in the nation, uh, you know, in our nation, it, it's faith building. If he did it before, he can do it again. Put that in the comments. If he did it before, he can do it again. I'm believing for greater than that. As we pray and fast, I'm believing that this, this, uh, pandemic of depression and anxiety that is very demonically rooted in our nation will be uh, uprooted in Jesus' name. The demonic agendas of the LGBT community, and listen, listen to me very clearly. I don't think, I'm not telling you that every you know, person, a part of the LGBT community is demon-possessed. Hear me very clearly, because people can get so confused and just, he said, no, I'm not saying that. The agenda is demonic. You can't tell me that getting children to question their gender at the age of six and to be doing drag queen dances at bars and in libraries of schools is not demonic. And if you say that as a Christian, you're dumb. You can't see it. It's demonic. I'm believing that, that that's coming to an end in Jesus' name. There should, there should be a, a, a righteous indignation in your spirit about the things that the devil has done. But again, we're not demon conscious. We're Jesus conscious. Just like Jesus became the principality over that region, just as uh, the demoniac, as he stepped foot on the shore, the demoniac came running. No longer was that man the, the, the spiritual principality over that region. It was Jesus now was the highest spiritual principality. Just like that happened, you and I are the highest spiritual principality over the, uh, the nation of America because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do you do it? How do you tear down a stronghold? Paul said the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they are mighty. What weapons is he talking about? What weapons? Well, I believe prayer and fasting is a spiritual weapon. Bishop David Oyedepo says prayer and fasting is a spiritual weapon that goes to war against every uh, demonic stronghold in your life and in your nation. So don't think that you're some nobody. You know, I've touched on this a lot, and I've said this a lot, and don't think that I'm just repeating myself just for the sake of hyping you up. But I really feel that, that some Christians think this way. You're saying I can, I can turn over things in, in my nation? I'm just a single mom. I'm just this. I'm just that. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. Those are the people that, that's double-mindedness. Did Christ, did Jesus say that you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Did he say that you're seated far above every power, every principality and power? Principality, spiritual principality, over every wicked force in this world. 
Did he not say, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world? And that's directly speaking of an antichrist spirit. The spirit that, that's behind the, the gender ideology. Listen, this is coming out of a place of love. I love people. It makes me mad to see people confused, not even knowing what gender they are anymore. That's the work of, of the devil, a work of the devil. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that those things are uprooted in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Do I have people on this broadcast that aren't just demon conscious, but that are Jesus conscious? If you are, I want you to put in the comments, I'm Jesus conscious. I'm Jesus conscious. I'm not, I'm not worrying about these things. As I pray about it, I call it done in Jesus' name. So we're going to pray for our nation for a little bit. I love the United States. Though, though the Bible never says that the United States has to have a great, a great awakening, I believe that we will have a great awakening. Not because I find some, some scripture in Isaiah that says America, you know, the Bible never mentions America, but it does say, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal, heal their land. Doesn't say anything about America. Sorry, I love Florida too, Brian. I love Florida too. But I also love California. I also love New York. I don't want this crap going on anywhere. People are in bondage. But God said in Isaiah that as we fast and pray, is not this the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bands of bondage. To break every yoke. It's what fasting does. And so if... if, if Daniel could have those uh, insane results from fasting and praying. If, think about this. If Daniel could have those nation-shaking results from just a, of what we would call a Daniel fast, a diet, not being redeemed, not having the Holy Spirit infill him, not being regenerate, you know, under an old covenant established upon worse, co- uh, worse promises. If he could have those nation-shaking results as one man, What could one man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit do for their nation by by fasting and praying, by a full fast and praying for 21 days? That's right. So let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the nation of America. We thank you for the United States of America. We thank you for the blessing that's on this nation. We thank you that you've given us such a blessing in this nation, such a freedom in this nation, that, there's, that there are people that are God-fearing in this nation still, that there are people that, that still fast and pray in this nation, that not, not everything is lost. I thank you that there are so many people right now in America that are committed to fasting and praying. But Father, you see the condition of America now. I believe it's your will to see America safe. For your word says you are willing that none should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But right now, Father, there are things in the way. So by the authority that you gave us, we take authority over those demonic principalities, those demonic rulers, over the gender ideology crowd. We take dominion over the the wicked spirit over abortion. We take authority over the wicked spirit over depression and anxiety in this nation. In Jesus' name, we curse you In Jesus' name, I pray right now that Planned Parenthood centers would go defunded in Jesus' name. 
I pray that Planned Parenthood centers would go defunded in Jesus' name. If they have to be burnt to the ground, be burnt to the ground in Jesus' name. We take authority over that demonic thought process, that demonic spirit, that murderous spirit. We take authority over you in Jesus' name. The spirit of confusion over the young people of our nation. We take authority in Jesus' name. Father, let there be a, a peace. Let there be a, a, a knowing in Jesus' name of what you created them to be in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Now, I want you to take authority over anything over your family. Start to pray for your family. If you have family members that are unsaved, I want you to pray. You know, many, many people, many of us, have family members that it seems that they're far from the Lord right now. That if we're being pessimistic about it, we could say, there ain't no way that person's getting saved. But don't say that. No one's too far gone. Because once that, once that stronghold breaks, it's over for the devil. Once that stronghold breaks over their life, it's over. We break drug addiction in Jesus' name. We break pornography addiction in Jesus' name. We break alcoholism in Jesus' name. Start praying for your family members. Start praying for your unsaved loved ones. Father, bring them into the kingdom. Father, send people across their path. You said that the harvest is ripe and ready to be picked. Lord, you said pray to the Lord of the harvest that we'd send laborers into the field. Send people across their path that would preach the gospel. Send people across their path that would love them and show them the love of Christ. Show them and demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. That's right, we lift up unsaved family members in Jesus' name. We lift up, that's right, Montessa, those who have become complacent towards Jesus. Whatever is holding them, we break it in Jesus' mighty name. We're believing that by the end of this 21-day fast, we'll see quick turnarounds in our family. That those who, who were, seemed far from the Lord will come running to us and say, Tell me about Jesus. Tell me how you're so peaceful. Tell me how you're so prosperous. Tell me how you, you have so much love for people. Tell me how you have so much joy. Tell me about your God. I'm believing that kind of breakthrough is going to happen. Don't forget the potency of fasting and prayer. Don't think you're doing some small thing. You have real spiritual power. Real spiritual power. Man, I, I believe that. I believe that we're going to see quick turnarounds in our family. That those who, who have believed a lie, the veil would be lifted from their eyes. That whatever, whatever spirit, that demonic spirit of addiction and bitterness, it's running out the back door in Jesus' name. And then as soon as that happens, you watch. As soon as, that, as that's broken, we first of all, we believe that it's done now that we said it in Jesus' name. Our words carry power. Understand in the Spirit, when you pray, the prayer of a righteous man has much power and it's working. Just as Elijah could say, stop, stop the rain, it stopped. Start the rain and it starts. Through, through the name of Jesus, we can do far greater. So we believe it in Jesus' name. Father, we believe it. and We call it done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You watch that things are going to start turning around in the nation and in your family. We're believing for big, big victories, big turnarounds in our nation. That just like it was at the end of World War II, you know, the, the healing, what many would call the healing revival or the, uh, the voice of healing movement, ended or started at the, the beginning or, or at the end of World War II. 
the, the troops were coming home from war, and there was such an openness to the gospel. There's such an openness to the gospel in that time that there was packed out tents, packed out stadiums. Billy Graham was then. A.A. Allen was then. Oral Roberts operated then. There was such a hunger for God, for God in America. That was after World War II. And, and, and think about this. The rates of depression in America now are way higher than they were even in, in the times of World War II. So if that drove a hunger in America, imagine what the hunger in America is now. It's a great time to be alive. 2023 is a great time to be alive. A very great time. That witnessing to people will just be easy. During COVID, people saw it. You know, me and my friend Lilia, uh, when I lived in Virginia Beach, would go down to the oceanfront to win souls. We'd actually go down the oceanfront and actually... I know it's a novel concept. Tell people about Jesus. So stop people and say, hey, has anyone ever told you that Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And we saw people got, got saved. Many people got saved. But one of the things that shocked me was hearing, you know, I'd hear from person after person after person, no matter what politically, you know, what aisle they were on politically, they said, you know, I heard it over and over again, you know, it's kind of crazy. I've, I've started thinking about God a lot. It's, it's funny that you come up to me. I've started thinking about God a lot. My thoughts got dark when, the, when COVID hit. I started thinking about the things that my grandma may have told me. There's a hunger in America, and those people get saved easily. So all you have to say is, look, that's what the Bible predicts. It's happening right here preach the gospel to them. There's a hunger in America. It's going to be easy to win souls. It's going to be easy to see the harvest come in. But it takes a church that knows their authority in Christ, like you do. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.